You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Back to the book of Job. I, um, so I will finish last week's lesson, and then we'll get into chapter 2 tonight. See how far we get. Um, but let's re- recap a little bit. Some of you I know weren't able to be here last week. So let's just do a quick recap uh, from the book of Job. If you didn't, if you weren't here last week, or if you hadn't been here last week, what would you say about the book of Job? Just anything. Problems. Okay. What else? Trial. Trial. What? Sad. Yeah. What? Bad friends. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. They may not have been good counsel, but were they good friends? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> what about, um, like, maybe we might think unfair, right? Um, and I, I, well, of course, the question I asked was why. Like, that's, that's what he's asking through this thing is why. Um, so when we read about Job, especially here in the first few verses, we read about who he is and the fact that he was a good man. The Bible says. The Bible says that he was perfect and upright. It means he's mature, complete as a man, upright, one that feared God and issued evil. Um, had a big family. A lot of there was none like him in the East. So, uh, very successful, wealthy man with a with a family. Now, um, as I told you last week, I feel like there's times where I've heard people kind of hint that his kids were having a drunken party, and that's why they suffered. Well, there's no evidence of that. Um, the, the fact is that they were together, they were celebrating, each one his day, probably their birthdays. And uh, the, so Satan comes into God and he says, um, he says, hey, uh, you're this. Well, he comes into God. God says, what have you been doing? He's like walking to and fro. And then which we know what that means. We'll talk about that more tonight. But and then uh, God just says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him, <laughs> you know. Why? Why do you have to say that? Why did he have to bring him up? Um, and then Satan answered in verse number nine of chapter one. Satan answered the Lord and said, "Doth Job fear God for naught? You've made a hedge around him. The reason he likes you is because you have protected him. He hasn't had to go through a whole lot. He has all this stuff. Uh, his substance is increased in the land. And so Satan says, if you put your forth, put forth your hand on him and touch all that he hath, he will curse you. And verse eleven. And the Lord said to him, he said, hey, it's all in your power and go ahead and and do it. So Satan leaves the presence of the Lord. Now, that's where we come to where we are, where we left off last week with verse number 13. Um, and so this is where Satan, he strikes. And I, I called this Satan strikes where he can uh, look at verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped to tell thee. All right, so here's messenger number one. One of servants, Job's servants comes to him running in. And he says, hey, this is what I saw. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding. But then the Sabians came in and took the cattle and killed the servants. The, the catastrophe was so bad that he felt like he thought he was the only one to escape. And he may have been the only one to escape 
that area or that process or that job. Then we come to verse 16. While he was yet speaking. So he's, he's coming, he's telling the story. And while he's there telling the story, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell thee. So here's messenger number two. Not only had the cattle and the workers that produced his crops got stolen, but now, you know, normally we think of a farmer. You say, what kind of a farmer? Is he a, is he a cattle farmer? Or is he someone who farms the land for some type of crop? Uh, well, Job had both. And so in the first one, the cattle and the, uh, the, the cattle that worked the farm, the, the produce farm, uh, they, they, got, they got destroyed. So then we come to verse 16. And now the sheep, or the animals. These were animals used for food. They were animals used for sacrifice. And he tells us uh, that they are destroyed. Now we might think, why would God do this? Why would God send down fire from heaven? Well, first of all, not all fire from heaven was from God, right? Because the Bible tells us that Satan went out and did this. Now, message 3, while he was yet speaking, uh, verse 17, while he was yet speaking, so another one. There came also another and said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another. And thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men. And they are dead, and I only am escaped, uh, only, I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So we have message number three in verse 17, while he's yet speaking. Uh, this day, turning into a day that you simply wouldn't believe if, if it wasn't written down for us. This time, he tells of the Chaldeans coming in and taking the camels. Now, so we had the we had the crop animals, right? Then we had the pro, or we had the uh, the sacrifice and the cattle, uh, the food animals. Now we have camels. Well, camels were a, first of all they were a sign of wealth. Wealthy people had camels, but they were also the preferred source of transportation for many people um, across the desert. Now, the servants that dealt with the camels were also killed. And one servant escapes the devastation. Now, uh, just like the Sabians in verse number 15, uh, verse number, sorry, the Sabians were in verse number 13, uh, 15, yeah, verse 15. Um, just like them, Satan wasn't, he wasn't controlling the Chaldeans. Okay? We, we don't have any record that these people were demon-possessed or anything like that. But he influenced their hearts. They were already wicked. We've, we talked about this um, a couple different books that we've covered. That uh, we, we blame Satan. Well, Satan did that. Well, Satan influenced them. God permitted it. Um, but they were people who were already, they, they were probably already watching, saying, we want to take that, take that guy over. We want to destroy. They were just wicked people. Now, the, the last message, message number four in verses 18 and 19, is, of course, the most difficult one. Uh, the second messenger interrupted, the third messenger who interrupted, the, who was then interrupted, sorry, the second messenger interrupted the first messenger, who was then interrupted by the third messenger, who was then interrupted by the fourth messenger to deliver the most heartbreaking message of the day. All of your sons and daughters were in the house of the eldest brother, 
And a great wind came and, uh, to the house, and the house collapsed and killed everyone except me. Now, we'll notice a couple of things here. The events took place while the brothers and sisters were in their house. Um, we don't, I'm, I'm not stating this as fact, but we know earlier in the book that we read that while the brothers and sisters, verse 5, when they were in the house, um, Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings. It's possible, uh, and I'm not, again, not stating this as fact, it's possible that Job was offering sacrifices while this happened. Um, now, there, again, there's no indication that the kids were doing anything wrong. But we can, uh, we can, we can speculate on some things, but we simply don't know exactly what was going on. Why wasn't, somebody asked last week, why wasn't Job and his wife there celebrating with the kids? We, we just don't know. Uh, we, we don't know why they weren't there. Um, maybe the kids thought the parents were old fuddy-duddies and they didn't want them there. I don't know. Um, but, uh, or maybe they were coming later. Who knows? But Satan was not given power by God when he went to God's presence. He was given the power long before. Satan is powerful. We talked about last week that there were, we're going to learn some things about Satan. The study of Satan is called Satanology. Um, and certainly we don't study him with admiration, but we need to understand who we're dealing with. Satan already had the power long before us, but God had to give him permission. So when Satan got... Uh, when Satan was given the permission from God, he would use every tool in his toolbox to be effective. Right? God said, you just can't touch him. And Satan then went and took care of almost everything else in Job's life besides himself and his wife. And we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. The only thing holding Satan back is God. He has the power. Uh, he, he was given the power by God. But we, we need to be ready for, for Satan to attack at any time. Because we do know this. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10.13 um, And when you're in a temptation, he will make a way of escape. So we, we need to be prepared for that, ready for that, but also understand that with God... Now, you cannot, you cannot make it through a trial or temptation. You cannot make it through a struggle or turmoil without God's help. Okay? When he says that he will not, um, he will not give you temptation that is uh, greater above than what you're able to bear, but with the temptation, he also makes a way of escape that you may be able to bear. So he makes a way of escape so you can be able to bear it. What is that way of escape? It's through Jesus. It's through your relationship with him. So you're not going to make it through on your own. Like, oh man, I can't believe I had to go through that. I, I can't imagine how I could have got through that. Well, the only way to get through it is, is with the Lord. So then we come to verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this... Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So here's Job's response. He, he oh man, he tore his he tore his uh, raiment, he tore his mantle. Uh, he wasn't losing his temper, but he was grieving, and this is how this was a common way of grieving, and we'll see that again in chapter two. And mourning is appropriate for the child of God. Mourning is good 
we, we must mourn in um, loss. And I, I mentioned this at the funeral Saturday, but the second, uh, second Thessalonians chapter four, right? Um, he said, brethren, I, I, I don't want you to mourn as those which have no hope. We, we mourn and it's right and appropriate to mourn only when it's done the right way. First Thessalonians 4.13, ahead in my notes here. So Paul was not rebuking sorrow, but he was rebuking ungodly, unhopeful sorrow. That's what he was talking about in First, first Thessalonians. And so just after being informed of all these tragedies, Job mourned, but then he fell down. And what does he, what does he do? He worships. He falls down and he worships God. Most of us, when we're going through trials, that's the last thing from our minds. The first thing from our minds is, oh, you know what, I, I need to thank God for what I have. No, we complain to God for what we've lost. Um, and so we're going to see that Job's life is filled with questions. And he even questions God. But it is interesting that his first response, his first reaction to all this tragedy was to worship. You, you see, everything that we have, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I, this is in my notes later, but everything that we have is God's. It's not only a gift from God, it is. But it is his. And so God gives, God takes. It, it's, it's perfectly righteous for him to do so. Now, verse 21 is, we get, it's a very famous quote. Naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives and God takes. He doesn't take away from us in selfishness or in spite, but he takes away in order to accomplish his will. And as I said, he has every right to do that. Everything is from God. So even the naked body that comes from the womb is God. God provides clothing, shelter, and many more blessings. And we deserve nothing more. In fact, we don't deserve the things that we do have. He clothes us. He feeds us. He shelters us. He provides for us. Why does He do all that? Because He loves us and because He gets the glory. But sometimes in His sovereignty, He takes things away also because he loves us. Yeah, as, as a parent with your children, with my children, there are times you take things away. And I have to tell my kids, mostly one of them in particular. Uh, but, you know, you have to tell your kids, hey, I'm taking this away. I'm, like, I don't enjoy this. I'm not having fun. Like, I would love to just give you everything that you ever wanted. I wish I could. It wouldn't be good for you. And so sometimes I take things away in love. Sometimes God doesn't give us things or he takes things from us because he loves us. And because, as the title of last week's and tonight's, he's working behind the scenes. He's doing things that we can't see. And so Job closes that section out, that verse out, by saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is, May it be high and lifted up. Even in the turmoil I am in. I am in. When I'm in turmoil, I want people to feel sorry for me. I want to tell them about how I'm in turmoil. And I want them to say, you know what, oh, poor guy, he's going through so much. But Job didn't want that. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. If God gives to me, I want him to get glory. Right? But here's what we do. Man, I worked hard for that. I accomplished that. But what we should say is, I'm telling you what, I don't deserve it. You know, I did my best. I worked hard. But ultimately, it's God that gave it. But when God takes away, may he also get glory. Job was not blaming God when he said the Lord had taken away. We might say, well, Job was wrong. I mean, Satan is the one who took it away, right? 
Was Job right in this? And I'm going to talk about this again in chapter 2. But nothing happens, excuse me, outside the permission of God. God cannot be blamed for evil. But even through the evil works of Satan, God is still working. So, so far in chapter 1, Job's an impressive man. I, I simply don't know how he could go through all of these things and then fall down and worship God and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So I already feel inept to, to even uh, talk about Job's life and try to grab something from it, right? I already feel like I'm so far from being that guy. But the issue is not to walk out of here tonight and be Job. Hopefully we don't walk out of here tonight and deal with the things Job dealt with. But what's at stake, the same thing we've been talking about on Sunday nights, is growing in our faith. Taking a step and saying, okay, all right, God, maybe tonight I just need to say, Lord, um, when I, if I go to work tomorrow and that person is there that you know is, is not just bugging me, but they're telling the boss things that aren't true about me, they're lying about me, they've got it out for me. Whatever happens, Lord, I want you to receive glory. That's not how we pray, but I believe that's how we should pray. I don't know how I would respond, but I know that the, Job, the way Job responded is, is how we should respond to turmoil. And by the way, we have been equipped by God to do that, right? It's not that I don't have the ability to do that. It's that I choose to worship self so much when I should be worshiping him. And so when I have a tragedy come to my life, I go, oh man, this isn't good for me. This is not what I want. It may be good for me, but I don't see it. But this is what I want. And so we, we think, well, God, God's not doing what's best for me. And that's where we get the, the title slide that says, Trusting God in Turmoil. That we, we see things come in our lives, we realize we are going to face turmoil, but we need to trust God in it. Um, so Job was, repressive, was impressive in his response, but Satan wasn't done yet. right? So, so far... And all this, verse 22, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now let's go to chapter number 2. Uh, this is behind the scenes part 2. Because we see that some of the things that happened, uh, things go a little bit further. So, Job has not sinned or charged God foolishly. He's handled the turmoil better than anyone except God would have expected. Right? God knew it. He's like, have you considered my, my servant Job? God knew what Job was made of. And, uh, and so he says, everything was given to me by God, but everything is, he's, that was taken away was his to be taken away anyway. Now, in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God, again, pulls back the curtain so that we can get a look behind the scenes in the presence of God. So let's go to verse 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, thou, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a person, uh, I'm sorry, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. You know, last week I mentioned the word eschewith, and I say, that's a fun word, right? I actually heard somebody use it on the radio this week. Uh, they said that something about eschewing something, and I'm like, well, he is a Christian, so that's probably why he used it. But that was, it was interesting. Now, 
Uh, so here in verses 1 through 3, we have God's praise of Job. Verse, the first three verses are almost word for word from verses 6 through 8 in chapter 1. It's, it's almost like he's telling us the same story, but this is a separate situation. And so, again, this conversation is behind the scenes. I said last week, it's probably good that Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. I want to know what's going on behind the scenes, but it's probably good that Job didn't know what was going on. So at this point, Job knows nothing of what's happening in the presence of the Lord. Satan, by God's permission, has access to the presence of God, and he comes there for a purpose. He comes to be the accuser of the brethren that we learn in Revelation chapter 12. And so the Lord asks the same question as he did in chapter 1, verse 6. Where have you been? No, I've been going out for a walk. Nothing important. Don't worry about it. No big deal. I was just out for a walk. But you know the purpose of Satan's walks. And I mentioned this last week. First uh, Peter 5.8 tells us that Satan is a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for who he can destroy. And by the way, if he looks at you and... Now this, this you know, uh, he, he may look at you and go, I got this one over here, I got this one over here. This guy's really walking with God. Um, and this guy is strong. He's reading his Bible. This guy, he's trying, but he's really weak. I'm going to go after him. That's what I think, that's what I think he would choose. Uh, but he's looking for who he can destroy. So then God again says, have you considered Job? Now, I, I think by now we know God's not saying, have you thought about attacking Job? I think what he's saying here is, what do you think about Job now? He's still holding fast or solidly holding to his integrity. Even though you moved me to bring all this turmoil into his life for no good reason. That's basically what he says there, isn't it? He says that to destroy him without cause. He, there's no good reason for this. Uh, in, in, Satan has no good reason for it. But God does. And so Satan has already attacked Job and he's destroyed nearly everything in, Satan, in, in Job's life. And so, of course, Satan's going to respond. And he's going to say, wow, you were so right, God. Man, that Job guy, he is rock solid. I really thought I could get him, but I couldn't shake his faith. Yeah, when he got the news, he tore his mantle, and I thought, man, I've got him. He's losing his temper. Here we go. But then he worships instead. I just, Satan just conceded the win, right? No, he didn't, of course. Satan's second accusation comes in verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he put for his life. Will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. and He will curse thee to thy face. All right, so here's the second accusation, right? The accusation, when Satan accuses the brethren, it's not just an accusation that the brethren are doing something sinful. But here he's accusing, really he's accusing the brethren of only being strong because of what God's done for them, Because of the hedge of protection. And so Satan knows that the, the strongest urge that man faces, uh, many say that the strongest urge that man faces is the preservation of his own body and life. And so he says, oh, you know, God, Job has only been faithful to you because... You have protected him. You wouldn't let me touch him. But if we could touch his body, if you, if you touch his body, of course, Satan says, God, if you will touch his body, then he is going to curse you to, his, to your face. So what happens in verse 6? And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. 
but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. Okay, so this is attack number two, right? Attack number one was on his family and his possessions. Now attack number two is on Job himself, on him physically. So God, God concedes to Satan's request. Satan says, if you'll just touch his body, he will curse you. Now, Satan couldn't say, if you'll kill him, he'll curse you, because then it would be too late, right? So if you will attack his body, then, uh, then, he will, uh, then he'll curse you. And, and God says, okay, uh, you can do that. All that he has, is in, he's in thine hand, but save his life. You just can't take his life. Now, notice, though, that Satan says, put forth thine hand now. But God tells Satan, he is in thine hand. You do it. No, you do it. I ain't doing it. You do it. That's not what's happening. But who was afflicting Job with all of these things? Because, I mean, Job, at the end of chapter 1, he feels like God is giving, God is taking away. God God says, Satan, you do it. And Satan says to God, if you'll do this. It wasn't Satan. I mean, it was Satan, but it was God. It was both. You see, Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. But his assertion is correct that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God didn't afflict Job here, but God allowed the evil one to do his work. And we'll talk more about that as, as we move on. So, there, and there's speculation here. What, what kind of disease was it? And, of course, whenever you read something like this, somebody's got an answer for it, right? Oh, what he has, and there's doctors that have given the, the answer. We simply don't know what the answer is. What did he have? All we know, we don't know the disease, but we know the symptoms. The horrible boils that show up all over his body. Uh, there's no question that they covered his whole body, or all the way through his body, because the Bible tells here that it went from the sole of his foot to the crown, to the crown of his head. And, uh, and so I've never had a boil, Okay. So I looked up boils. Don't look up pictures of boils. Okay? That's gross. Um, Sometimes they say most people, they get one or two, maybe in an armpit or in a a moist area. But Job's covered him. He's got them all over over him. And so he takes this broken piece of pottery. He scrapes the boils. Now they say that with with boils, you're best to, to treat them, to put warm rags on it, to speed up the healing process. And it can take a week or two before they, two weeks before they heal, a week before you start to see things progressing. Um, but Job is taking a sharp piece of pottery into scraping just for some relief. And it's very little relief. And so I did, after reading some on boils, and I will spare you the details of those, of those uh, things I found. But Job with what Job was dealing with seems to be much more substantial and painful than what common boils bring to a person today. Um, so I don't think we can just look at boils, what we can, what are common boils today, and say he had, he had some of those. It, it sounds like his body was just covered in such painful boils that the best thing he could come up with was to scrape them to, to have some relief uh, from the itching and burning. So, then we're told here in verse number 8, aren't you glad that part's over? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he took him, took him and postured to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. That's interesting, right? So why? Why did he sit down among the ashes? What do you think? Morning. 
Anybody else? He's too weak to stand up. All right. Any, anything else? John? Okay, maybe to absorb some of the... the yep, grieving, mourning. Okay, um, I think that all those are probably right. I think that there could be a combination of some of those. So let me tell you what, what, I, was I, what I was able to find. What's that? Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what uh, where we're going to go with that. Yep, no, that's good. I'm glad you, you brought it up. So one of the things that we could look at is that a pile of burnt ashes. So there's outside of the city was where all the garbage would be cast, and they would burn it, and then there'd be a pile of ashes. One thought is that um, it might have offered a soft place to sit with minimal pressure. Maybe there was nowhere else. Now we also the Bible never tells us that his house was destroyed. So. His bed may have still been there, and he was a wealthy man, so he probably had a, had a softer bed. So that may not be the reason. But the second reason is burnt ashes offer a much more sterile environment than many other things. Okay, So maybe it was the, the softness of it, maybe it was the sterile environment. But the third reason, as some of you alluded to, is that sitting in ashes was a demonstration of mourning and of repentance. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 6, the king of Nineveh put aside his robes and his throne to put on sackcloth and sit in ashes. Sackcloth, very itchy, rough, uncomfortable, um, uh, made of camel's hair. And uh, then they, they would sit in ashes. So the king of Nineveh, Nineveh did it, mourning over his sin and the sins of his nation. And it was a demonstration of humility and repentance. So Job is not facing his turmoil because of his sin. Yet he still showed humility. And I, and I wonder if, as remember when he was offering sacrifices just in case his sons had cursed God in their hearts? I, I wonder, have you ever gone through something and you're like, man, is there sin in my life? And you're sitting back and you're going, is there, am I not right with God? Is there some way that I, what is it? And you start thinking through. And I wonder if part of it uh, was was yes, it was mourning, but maybe it was also some repentance or simply saying, God, I, if I have done something, please bring it to my mind. I want to confess it. And I encourage us to do that, that we would pray and say, God, if there is sin in my heart that I have not, um, I have not confessed and I have not got right with you, then please bring that to the front of my mind so that I can repent of it. Um, I think that's better than, uh, Lord, thank you for this day. Forgive me of my sins today. Amen. You know, uh, I think we need to confess our sins uh, individually when, when we need to we need to search our mind to find those sins. Job forty two six. Yeah, it's po- possible that. Again, he was a man, he was not a perfect man, meaning sinless, but he was a complete man and he was a godly man, right? Uh, I mean, he eschewed evil, he ran from it, but that, but he was still sinful, he still had sin. So, um, I, he doesn't know why this is happening, does he? Right? That's his question. At least that's my interpretation of his question. Why? He doesn't know why. Now, at the end, he gets a little bit better picture of it. But he, he knows he's a sinner. So that could be why part of the reason that he sat there in ashes. Okay. 
Look at verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did Job not sin with his lips. So here is the wife's counsel. Now we think of Job's wife, and, and to a certain extent rightfully so, but we see her as this faithless, foolish woman. But I think it's also fair that we consider that she has been through the same loss that, of everything in chapter 1. So it wasn't just Job that lost his children. It was mom. And, and I know that if we ever lost a child, it would be devastating to both of us. But there's something about mom, right? Um, and so she has lost ten children this day. Yep, and, that, and that's, a, that's, that's my next point. Are you want to teach my lesson, Peggy? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it, you're, she's absolutely right. Um, so we see that she's watching her husband in great pain and agony. Nobody wants to see their spouse go through pain. I don't like watching my children in pain. I don't like watching my spouse in pain. So her words, even though they're maybe somewhat faithless and maybe somewhat short-sighted, I think we understand that. We understand why she would say that. It's not good. I'm not justifying it. But we understand it. Matthew Henry wrote this. He was speculating about, or about speculation as to the identity of, identity of Job's wife. He wrote this. Whoever it was, she was to him like Michael to David, a scoffer at his piety. She was spared to him when the rest of his comforts were taken away for this purpose, to be a troubler and a tempter to him. If Satan leaves, and listen, this is, I think I got this up on the screen. If Satan leaves anything that he has permission to take away, it is with the design of mischief. It is his policy to send his temptations by the hand of those that are dear to us, as he tempted Adam by Eve and Christ by Peter. That's good stuff. Um, Satan, and see, did you ever read chapter one and go, well, how come his wife is still there? Right? Didn't, didn't touch her. And so as, and, and of course, this is not scripture. This is Matthew Henry. But he says, hey, if he leaves anything that has permission to take away, it's with the design of mischief. Because he could have taken Job's wife. He could have killed Job's wife. And so his wife says, are you still trying to retain your integrity? What do you think you're accomplishing? What, what's the point? Just let go of it. Curse God and die. And listen, don't wait for him to finish with this trial in your life. End it. Deliver yourself from this trial. And basically what she's telling him is just be done with it and end your life. Who do you think tempts people to end it all? Who do you think tells people that life is not worth living? It is not God. It is Satan. Uh, I, I, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's right. but Yeah. Because she, he probably, never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so, notice though that Job did not call his wife evil. He didn't call her the wicked one. And he didn't call her a fool. He said, you're speaking as a foolish woman. Get a hold of yourself. You're not speaking sanely. And he says, shouldn't we be willing to accept the evil if we are willing to accept the good? So for all these years, they've lived with wealth, they've lived with family, their family enjoyed time together, they celebrated together. They had the means to celebrate with great meals and beautiful homes. But now 
what seems like, we're not told exactly, but just a few days removed from that, can they see God's love? Because I'm telling you what, we, are, we live such blessed lives and then we go through a week, we go through a day, a week, a month, or even a year of trial and we go, I just, I question everything I believed about God. If you question because of what has gone wrong in your life, then who's responsible for what went right in your life? God, if God's responsible and he's the only one that can be responsible for it, then we have to thank him and praise him for what he has done and not just and not complain about what he's taken away. Now, the word evil in verse 10 is, shall we not receive evil? Um, you know, evil can be wicked. It can it's, it can mean that, um, but it doesn't always. It can mean distress and misery or adversity. So we think, well, things were going so well for so long. Can't we just receive? Can't we just receive from God the adversity that He sees fit to bring into our lives? Now, it's all in all that Job faced until now. In verse number ten. In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? So, still to this point, Job has not sinned with his lips. Nothing came out of his mouth to man or God that was against the pleasure of God. All right. Now, verse eleven. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this that was come upon him, there they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they had lifted their eyes afar off, they knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him in the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw his great his grief that was very great. And so here comes comfort from friends. So we are going to read many things about these friends that they weren't that they they weren't the perfect friends. They they didn't have great counsel. Um, they accused, and I really think though that often they were looking for. The right answer. But when we come here, we see these these uh, these men. They heard of Job's plight. They came together. They coordinated with each other. They made an appointment to come to Job at the same time. Well, what did they come for? Did they remember? He's lost everything, so they're not coming to him for a handout. They're not coming to him to get some extra money or to have a nice place to stay or anything like that. The Bible says that they came to mourn with him and to comfort him. So they weren't suffering what Job was suffering. Uh, but they identified with the suffering in, in the ways that they could. Uh, we do this all the time. Um, last, last Sunday, a week and a half ago, Brian and Andrew and I went over and sat with Richard and just talked. We haven't been there. I haven't been through what he's been through. So going through chemo, going through cancer, losing your wife. I haven't been through. He fell the day before. Uh, he fell on Saturday. She passed away early Sunday morning. Uh, he was really sore. Um, what do we do? We just try to empathize. We try to we try to understand what we can understand. And so the Bible says that they rent their mantles, just as Job had done in chapter one. And they took the ashes. They sprinkled it on their heads. And then they sat down with him for seven days and seven nights. 
I, I can't imagine sitting with someone for seven hours like that. Right? Seven days and seven nights. And they didn't say a word. They just sat there with him. In fact, we find out in chapter 3 that Job is the one who breaks the silence. So, when someone's going through a tough time, how many of you have ever had to go sit with someone or go see someone right after a tragedy and you're like, I have no idea what to say? It happens all the time. I, I, I get phone calls and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Can I come? That's typically, can I, can I come be there with you? Because I don't know what to say. So many people, because they're afraid that they might do something wrong, they might say something wrong, they're afraid and they just do nothing. But sometimes what people just need is they just need us to be there. These, these friends came and they came to mourn with him and to comfort him. The Bible tells us in verse 12 that they knew, when they lifted their eyes afar off, they knew him not. He's covered in boils. He's in sackcloth. He's sitting there in ashes. They don't even know who it is until they get closer. And then the Bible says that they, they lifted up their voice and they wept. They, then they tore their mantles. They, they, they began the process of mourning with Job of all the things that he's lost. But they didn't say a word. Part of what we do as a church and part of what not just me as a pastor, but part of what other people in leadership do and sometimes other people in our church. What we do is we go to the hospitals or we go homes during going to tragedy. And let me tell you something. It's most of the time that I go and going, I don't know what I'm going to say to them. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I, how can I give comfort in this time? I haven't been through what they're, been through, what they're going through. I, I haven't faced what they're facing. And, I, and I'll bet you that I've probably said some really dumb things. I mean, not, I know I've said a lot of dumb things, but I mean when I go to those situations. And I'll bet you I have said dumb things. But I'll also... What's that? I don't always catch it. <laughs> but I'll bet you most of you, and I don't bet. All right, so I'll, I, I promise you, I don't think anybody remembers the dumb things I've said or the good things I've said. But they will remember that you were there to mourn with them, to hurt with them, to talk with them, to bring comfort to them. We need people like these friends in this chapter. I know. We're going to see the things that they, that they weren't right on. But we need people that are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to come and sit with you. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. I'm not sure if we're going to talk at all. But I'm going to be there. Now, we're going to see in the next chapter next week that Job is really struggling. The darkness in his life is almost unbearable. And so he struggles with this question. But ultimately, I think what we're going to see is he's going to learn to trust God in turmoil. That he's going to ask questions. And he's going to get bad counsel. But ultimately, he's going to learn to trust God. And uh, if you're going through something right now, trust God. You can't see. We've had two weeks of behind the scenes. You can't see what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing. We just know that he's working all things together for good to them that love him, to them that are called according to his purpose. And God is doing something, and we just got to trust him. doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way we want it to, but it means it's going to turn out for what's best. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, 
visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.